The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about hot topics and research articles. Our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 80. Diets have not improved much worldwide and the U.S. remains near bottom of the list. And why is that? Research has shown that online yoga programs are beneficial to our overall health. However, a study program designed for people with osteoarthritis showed that yoga was not that effective with knee pain. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. And so, how are you, D? You know, I haven't said this for a long time. Vicki Doe, what you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say at least once a year. <laughs> Yes. I am doing fine. I'm doing excellently, um, you know, just uh, working hard and trying to keep it moving, as they say. Keep it moving. Yes. Keep it moving. Yes. Well, I'm glad that you are doing great. And we are here today. And I can say that this is, it's, it's funny how I look at these episodes, how we just keep doing our I episodes. I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. It's hard to believe. I know. This is episode 240. And today. It's hard to believe. Isn't that something? Is. It's something. Yes. Mm -hmm. And today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And so our topic today is what's new. Hot topics number 80. There are online yoga programs because you know you always hear me talking about going to our resources page and click on the yoga download. And so yeah, they have quite a few online yoga programs and they are beneficial to our overall health. However, a study with a program devised specifically for people with osteoarthritis showed that yoga was not that effective when it comes to knee pain. And so we're going to talk about all of these articles. We have more. We're going to talk about all those on this episode. And as always, our co-host, Dr. D. Banks, will give us the latest on what's happening with COVID-19, monkeypox, the upcoming flu season, Whatever's out there coming to get us, she gonna give us the. <laughs> she gonna yeah, give us pretty much. Pretty much. She gonna give yeah, us the much. latest, right? And so she would give us tips on what we need to do. So stay tuned, right, D? <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever's coming to get us. Whatever's coming to get us, because there's always something. <laughs> always something. So make sure, folks, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, 
or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. When you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show. You will be able to listen, learn, and experience our shows where we bring in other guests and talk about the things that are important for our health and our well-being and our community. Now, as you know, we do not just talk about our physical health, but we talk about things that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. We believe in total well-being, having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review about this show because this is how we grow and increase our listeners. And we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Yeah, D, we rolling in fast and in a hurry. Fast and hurry. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm looking at the trees. They're getting ready to turn. Yes. You know, it's dark in the morning now. I know, I know. And um, it's getting darker in the evening now. It's, it's, you know, sunset. So everything is pointing towards fall season and winter but don't you think come on now did did something happen with this pandemic or something something happened with the the universe and the elements because I'm telling you I don't care what anybody say doesn't it seem like the time is passing by super fast you know I was thinking the same thing today as I was walking into the hospital I was like this situation is just rolling on just rolling on you're thinking about let's say you have something planned for three weeks from now and all of a sudden it's like here time is flying it's flying and I said it seems like it's flying faster than usual or is it just me (laughs) I, I know I feel the exact same way something event that I'm thinking is like three weeks away you know past all of a sudden it's here i'm like i don't even have a chance to prepare like i wanted to i know i know something's going on but hey yeah we are here in northeast ohio we are here and the other day i do have to say though i appreciate i didn't i didn't talk about this but i want to put this in i appreciate the award that i got just this past week yes Tell everybody about that. It is the Tanya Higgins Award. It's the Tanya Higgins Health Champion Award. And it was um, given to me by the Northeast Ohio Black Health Coalition. It was started and it is directed now by Ivanka Hall out of the Cleveland, Ohio area. They give this award every year when they do their annual walk for the women. What is it? Walk for your sisters, African American women, they they get together. Just it's 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 just like the African American male wellness walk, but this one is specifically for um, women. They usually have it in person. This is their tenth yeah. annual one. It just happened this past Saturday, the seventeenth. But Fabulous. yeah, but you know because of COVID, it has brought a lot of stuff. You know, virtual. Yeah. So next yeah. year they're planning to do this, the walk in person. But yeah, the Northeast Ohio Black Health Coalition, they do a lot of good things in oh, the wow. community. Yeah. So yes, 
They do, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well done. Well deserved. So I was I was surprised, you know, and that's a good thing, you know. I told them that we here at Vicky Doe Fitness, we got their back. We're gonna continue to support them and all the stuff that they do for the community, you know? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how was your week then? You always doing something. Um well, <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I did that was kind of fun, you know, I like to continue doing my mentoring thing, although this wasn't mentoring for medicine. I did a um, program down at the library mm-hmm. uh, for kids uh, in our art, Link's art facet to, to just talk to kids about photography and using your smartphone, you know, and encouraging them to, you don't have to go out and buy an expensive Nikon camera. I was telling them about the you know, I've been able to be accepted into the women's art show and just that the world should be their lens and how they should look at the world. So that was one thing that I did that was fun. Okay. And then I went with my another friend, um, Mr. Dominic Brown, whom we all know. Yes, love um, him. To the Youngstown, love him too, Youngstown Warren Black Caucus. Okay, yeah. The yeah. 11th Annual Banquet, the Academy for Urban Scholars. And Vicki, guess who was there? Our friend John Gregory. Yes, yes. We knew him when Mm -hmm. he was just getting started with the Mm -hmm. African-American Wellness Walk. Yes. He is blind now. He's completely blind. Okay, okay. And he was going blind, I think, when we met him. Yes, I remember Uh, he came. He had underlying diabetes. Yes. He came by our, didn't he come by? Uh Uh-huh, and uh, spoke at our booth when we were out there. Spoke at our booth, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so he is now head of this organization, the Academy for Urban Scholars, that he started. There's one here in Youngstown. I guess there's one in Columbus, and he's opening different places to give kids uh, education but also teach them life skills, etiquette, uh, of those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. And he gave an excellent presentation, excellent oh. talk. He stood up there and... Uh-huh. He was going on and on. In fact, you know, our friend, the main kitchen, had to almost come and press the, the trap door button. <laughs> <laughs> because the main was the MC. Okay. And uh, it, was, it was great. It was uh, Jalada, our friend Jalada Aslam. Yes. Was the, um, is the president of this organization, the Youngstown Warren Black Caucus. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, a lot of politicians were there. Okay, okay. Uh, talking and so forth. But, yeah, that was that was what I did. That was that was fun. Yeah, that's that nice. Really and it's nice yeah. that we're kind of, you know, we're coming back out now. We are coming back out, you know? Yes, we are coming back out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Yeah, that's and, good. And it was good to see him because mm-hmm. we kind of, I feel like we kind of knew him when. Yes, yes. Uh, when he was in charge and just getting this African American wellness walk, with, mm-hmm. I thought Reverend Lou, our friend Reverend Lou Macklin was there mm-hmm. that night and knowing how he was instrumental here in Youngstown with John Gregory getting that walk started. And yes. we, we have participated in numerous times. Yes, yes. Remember when it was at the, the church? Remember the yes, church? Yes, that was the first time. Exactly. <laughs> so we've been, we've been there since day one. The church, yeah. what they say, the, the church. The church. The church. The big time yeah and it's something how how things grow over the years that are yes oh my god i mean that that his african American, and i think they did it this year was the first time since the covid crisis but Mm -hmm. i think they had a big turnout this year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and natalie got a chance to 
Natalie got a chance to 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 participate in Columbus, and she said, "Man, oh it's, good, how she, was it?" Down she there? said, "Oh my God, it's like a whole city. They got about ten, ten to fifteen thousand people that be coming out." No. Oh yeah, she said they have to be. She had to be with these carts, these like like little golf carts that they would roll people around. Cause she was doing the the screening, and they had the medical students from OSU helping. And so yeah, they had to wheel them with the carts wow. around the different parts. So yeah, that's how big Fantastic. that is. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's it's just great. interesting how things are just you know they yeah. grow. You know. Yep, they do. They grow, they do. so. Yep. With leadership, and it's about leadership. It's about leadership. That's yeah. it. It grows yeah. with leadership. Yeah, with leadership. All yep. right. What is going on this week, D? Vicki, everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah, everything for sure. Everything. And so we have, look, Serena must have started something because the next thing you know, we got Roger Federer. He announced his uh, retirement. He announced his retirement. And he is, he's doing his, um, he's doing his last uh, match, his final match on Friday. Is this coming tomorrow? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. With Rafael Nadal, you know, and so he was talking about how special that is because they've always had, this was written up in CNN Sports. It says, after numerous close battles against each other over the years, Roger Federer said, and it will be a special moment to be able to partner Rafael Nadal in the final match of his career. Federer, who will retire from tennis after this week's Labor Cup, confirmed he would only play one doubles match at London's O2 Arena on Friday, the last act of his long decorated career that opens the possibility of the Swiss star partnering. He's going to partner with Nadal. 18 years from when they first faced each other wow. on the ATP tour in Miami. Wow. The pair, they have met 40 times over the course of their careers, including nine Grand Slam finals, and also played together at the 2017 Laver Cup. For as long as we have battled together, having always had this respect for one another, our families, our coaching teams, we always got along really well, Federer told reporters when asked about the possibility of playing alongside the Spaniard. Among the many accolades of his tennis career, Federer, he's won 103 single titles and 20 Grand Slam titles. A tally second to only Nadal, who's won 22 Grand Slam titles, and Djokovic, 21, in the men's all-time list. Roger Federer became the oldest ever world number one at the age of 36 and also spent a record 237 consecutive weeks at the top of the world rankings between 2004 and 2008. So there we have it again. We got another Uh, goat retiring. Another goat, another goat, another goat. And he's doing it, you know, which is what makes Serena's retirement so special. He's doing it four years. Serena's 40-something. Federer's out of there at 36. Yeah, he's out. 
Yeah, he's out. So, yeah. So there it is. So I guess they have to make way. I mean, you know, I was so proud of uh, the young man, uh, Tifo. Yeah. So hopefully maybe we have another heir apparent coming up from the United States. Hopefully. Tiafo is, I guess his name, Tiafo. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, heir apparent in terms of not, he's an American and et cetera, Swiss, but, you know, somebody to maintain, continue that dynasty kind of thing or keeping, you know, male tennis stars. It would be nice if we had Tiafo up there. I know, I know. And so they're they're young and stuff, so it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. We can watch. Yeah. Yeah. So the latest, too, you were talking about the Puerto Rico stuff. You've been watching that? Yeah, you know, I've been watching that because almost a year to the day, Maria hit Puerto Rico last year, and it was devastating because those people were out of power for months. And, you know, I guess my thing is, well, let's say Puerto Rico, and then I'll give you my commentary. Puerto Rico hit with flooding, widespread power outages from Hurricane Fiona. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hurricane Fiona knocked out power and water to up to one, one day, as it was all out all over the island. Mm. Up to one million people in Puerto Rico, President Biden issued an emergency declaration because, remember, they're, they're American, mm-hmm. uh, our, one of our American protectors. I mean, mm-hmm. You don't have to have a passport to go to Puerto Rico. Right, right. President Biden issued an emergency declaration for the island making federal aid available for rescue efforts during and after the storm. Today, the island's governor, Pedro, mm-hmm. called Hurricane Fiona's damage catastrophic. In many areas that had never seen flooding, there has been an unprecedented accumulation of water. In fact, in many areas, it was greater than what we saw during Hurricane Maria. And I mean, part of the issue is that they're kind of... Well, it's the same thing that's my my soapbox here in the United States. I think we really need to shore up our grid system for electricity. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my opinion, the grid in the United States and then look at Puerto Rico, when you have some major disaster Mm -hmm. and your grid goes out, like, you know, with just us here in our little area of northeast Ohio, Mm -hmm. you know how many times this summer did we see the electricity go out on our street and the Internet go out? Oh, yeah. We have not shored up our grid, mm-hmm. and I think that's our Achilles uh, heel. And then you look at Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. how does the whole island, the whole island go out? I know it was a hurricane, but it wasn't like something that washed the whole island away. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where it just makes you go, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, I've been watching the commentators on so they've been interviewing a lot of the, you know, people from Puerto Rico, and they're just like, you know, devastated. Like, we got to go through this again. Now, according to the people that are like FEMA, Puerto Rico, you know, they said they learned a lot from Maria, but, oh, no, not enough if I was there. You might have learned something, but my where, where, where my electricity at? That's the point. What's that doing? I know. Where, where, I mean, you learn something, but put it into where where are my lights? I know. Where my... <laughs> Where my life's at? Yeah, it did the water, you know. So every time stuff like that happens, the water is bad. So they got to figure out how to get clean water and stuff. Yeah. And that's what the people were saying. And, I mean, I know our our friend Dr. Lolly McDavid said two of the major things that have happened in terms of children's health in this country is clean water and vaccination. That's it. You can't live without clean water. Mm -hmm. You have to have water. I mean, you can live with, I mean, you have to have water. But in order to prevent diseases and, you know, stuff like that, you need clean water because that stuff can be contaminated with sewer, sewer. Yes, yes. Quickly, big so, time. I mean, it's just—it's a tragedy 
oh, well, I'll be keeping an eye on that because I don't know. I just, you know, I'm trying to think, well, I know it's climate, you know, it's uh, global warming and all those things that we, we kind of have been talking about. But, uh-huh. hey, you know this stuff is coming. You know it's an island. And you know that you need to be showing up your grid system. And plus the fact, we have all kinds of monitors and stuff like that to know when stuff is going to hit. So it's not like we back in the 1800s when all of a sudden you look up and a hurricane is hitting your island. I know. I don't get it. I know. We just got to um, pay attention and and prayers for Puerto Rico. Big time. Big time. Prayers for Puerto Rico. Well, you know, hey, the Queen Elizabeth was laid to rest. Yes, yes. And so September the 8th. She died. Age 96. And she was buried Monday. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched it on a big screen viewing and, uh, had my little scones and marmalade okay. and my okay. sandwiches <laughs> and all of that. And, you know, it, it brought back memories of our trip yes. to England when we went for the wedding of uh, mates the Duchess and Duke and Duchess of Sussex in Windsor. And we went out to Windsor that day. Yeah, we walked that mile. Like we, said, we walked that mile. Yes. It reminded me of the walk that we did. People were... People were already camping out and sleeping out for the wedding and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I was just saying, wow, we did that. We were there. So, yes. Yeah, it was very, uh, you know, they, you know, nobody knows how to do pomp and circumstance like the Brits. I know. I, mean, you I could, know. You could set your watch by, and I had seen a program, which was online, of everything that was supposed to happen. And, you know, the Brits are not on CPT. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Vicky... Everything was on point. On time. And I have to get on time. And I have to give a shout out to my, I thought when they were panning me in Westminster Abbey, my cousin is Lord Lieutenant Peaches Golding. She, she's from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And she mm-hmm. is the Lord Lieutenant from Bristol, the Queen's Emissary. And interestingly enough, mm-hmm. the, the closed screen television thing that I was watching was doing ABC. But I said, well, you know, I'm going to leave after the funeral so I can drive back to Youngstown and so I can see the committal service. Well, lo and behold, they interviewed Peaches, my cousin. Yes. And they had her on for 10 minutes. And she did a really good job. She, I was wondering about whether or not mm-hmm. she was going to be able to keep her position because she was the Queen's Emissary. And then she announced on television that she is now the king's emissary. So okay. she had known Prince Charles or King Charles now for many, many years. They had worked together when she was sheriff and so forth. So it was just nice to hear, you know, not just because she's my cousin, but to hear an American yes. who's been over there and understands the whole system, what her take was of being inside Westminster Abbey right. um, at that time. So, yeah, it was, it was a 10-day mourning, and uh, the royal family's official period of mourning will continue until seven days after the Queen's funeral. Royal mourning is observed by members of the royal family, staff in the royal household, and troops on ceremonial duties. Um, she was buried at King George VI's Memorial Chapel, which he had commissioned. She had that built. Mm-hmm. It took about five or six years for that to be built because she wanted her father and well, her mother was still alive, but her father and, and you know ancestors to be there. Mm-hmm. And then the late monarch was laid to rest beside her husband of 73 years, Prince Philip, during a private burial service Buckingham Palace confirmed. And interestingly enough, uh-huh. the Netflix series The Crown, okay. viewing of that has doubled. 
triple. Really? Very interesting. Yeah, people are going back on there now to try to read and understand her life. And, and they say that, you know, the crown was kind of passed through the, the royal Buckingham Palace, the royal family and all of that in terms of its accuracy. Okay, and okay. And that's why it has been allowed to continue because they're, you know, they probably took a little bit of poetic license or some of it. But right. by and large, most of that stuff is accurate. So the, uh, the viewing of the crown has gone up. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. so the next thing is uh, mm-hmm. King Charles' coronation, which will probably be sometime in 2023. All right. Well, yeah, it was just interesting to see the walk and see how slow they were going in the walk. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a long time. Cause we, that's a long time. Because we, we, we walked did. that. Yes, we yes. Did. We did. And I was we like, did. I hope they got their fitness tracker on. So I they can... know. Well, you know, I was looking at those, the, the whole people that were walking in behind the, uh, and women and so forth. I, and, you know, you notice a lot of them had their uh, their walking shoes on. Yes. But I was looking at Megan and Kate, Catherine, and a lot of the women, they would dare us to wear those heels. But, you know, they drove in a car and they were able to only do, as I call them, overshoes walk in them for a little while and then they could sit down. That's they, it. They, you know, they would not have been able to do that mile. No, no. In stiletto heels. No. Nope. That just was not going to be possible. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Nope. Yeah. That's a whole yeah. stuff End going on. End of an era. That's it. End of an era. And it's a lot of stuff going on because of the different Commonwealth countries and so forth yeah. that are trying to break off from. Get ready to get out. Yep. I, I think I was having a conversation with my girlfriend, Sally, mm-hmm. you know, who, I, who was friends. And, you know, she's she's not exactly a uh, <laughs> she's not exactly a royal fan. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. fact, she always says we tolerate the royals because when you come over. But, um, mm-hmm. but no, a lot of countries. <laughs> A lot of countries, New Zealand, some mm-hmm. of the Caribbean countries, mm-hmm. Jamaica, Barbados, uh, a lot of the countries in the Commonwealth, I think, probably waited until the Queen passed. Mm-hmm. And now they see their opportunity to get out. Yep. So it's going to be interesting I to watch. For a mass, mass exodus. Yes. I really, truly believe that. Yeah. Yes. So it's going to be something. So it's we're going to. Interesting. So stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned to that. Yes, indeed. Stay tuned. So what's the latest, D? You always got to tell us something. Yeah, just one quick thing. You know, uh, our President Biden, a couple of days ago, and I just wanted to mention this on the show, uh-huh. there was an end, that we were at the end of it. We're ending the pandemic, the end of a pandemic. The pandemic is over, I think is what he said. Mm-hmm. And I just want to stress that it's not over. I mean, we're having 400-plus people dying still a day. Mm-hmm. That's not over. And we're still seeing me and your honey sweet. We were, you know, mm-hmm. we, were talk, we were talking about this before the show. We're still seeing patients now admitted to the hospital mm-hmm. and going into the intensive care unit. You know, of course, we're not where we were even a year ago, but it's not over. And it's just I felt that that was a little premature, especially when we're trying to get people now to, first of all, get vaccinated for the first time. Believe it or not, there's still a significant number of people out there that are not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And also trying to stress for people to get the booster that's come out against B4, B5, which we have no protection against, mm. zero right now. Mm. Uh, if you have gotten your shots, you know, four or five or six months ago. So the emphasis now is if you, on the new booster, to get it three months if you were actually infected. Okay. Or two months after your last booster. So I just felt that, you know, the, the president was a little bit, unless we're asking Congress for money, 
for appropriations for vaccinations and for more, you know, things for COVID mitigation. So I think, in fact, I think I heard yesterday they were dialing that back a little bit. Okay. And you would say, I think they rethinking and rethinking that. That's it. They got to think that through and through, right? I think they think that. <laughs> you would say, I think they got to rethink that through and through. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, D. You are welcome. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicki Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 80. And so we'll start out with our first article. It's talking about online yoga, not much help for knee pain, And the study finds this was written in MedPage Today, and it says program was designed specifically for people with osteoarthritis. All right, so here we go. An internet-delivered unsupervised yoga program designed to relieve knee osteoarthritis pain and improved function showed hints of efficacy, but apparently (coughs) need some tweaking, researchers suggest. When evaluated at week 12, when the program ended, patients in the yoga group showed mean improvement of 2.1 points from baseline on a pain scale of 0 to 10, whereas an education-only control group had improvement of 1.4 points with the difference failing to reach statistical significance. According to Kim um, Bunnell, um, she is Dr. Kim Bunnell, PhD of the University of Melbourne in Australia, and colleagues. There was significant advantage for the online program in terms of physical function as measured by the 68-point Western Ontario and McMaster University's osteoarthritis, which is called WOMAC Index. Mean improvement of 10.1 points with the yoga program versus 4.7 points among controls. The mean difference, 4.0 points after adjustment for baseline 
parameters, the researchers reported in Annals of Internal Medicine. But after another 12 weeks had passed, during which the yoga group could continue with the program if they wished, there was no significant differences between the groups, either for pain or for function. Pain and functional disability scores rebounded slightly in the yoga group, while controls showed more continued improvement. Furthermore, the between-group differences at the 12-week evaluation failed to meet the pre-specified thresholds for minimal clinically important improvement, which were 1.8 points on the pain scale and 6 points on the WOMAC index. Bunnell and colleagues suggested that lack of adherence may have limited the yoga program's efficacy and the lack of blinding may have affected the results. Since the program was unsupervised, it's possible that participants did not perform the yoga maneuvers correctly or completely, even though they may have accessed the video on schedule. As well, many of That's the That's con- probably true. I know, That's right? Probably true. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. As well, many of the controlled participants undertook exercises and used devices such as orthotics and knee braces in some cases at higher rates than in the yoga group. Use of painkillers was also somewhat greater in the control group. So overall, the researchers call their results promising for unsupervised online yoga insofar as the improvements were numerically superior, superior in the yoga group and there are opportunities to make the program more effective. Our program was low intensity, emphasizing physical poses and movement with less or no inclusion of elements such as deep relaxation, chanting, singing, and meditation, Bunnell and colleagues wrote. Thus, studies investigating different types, dosages, and formats of online yoga together with exploration of uh, moderators and mediators of effects will be useful. Another positive note was that the program appeared safe with only a few patients showing new pain or injuries, and none seriously. Now, Pernell and colleagues had high hopes for the program, yeah, which was uh-huh. meant to be very low cost and easily delivered to large numbers of people. In contrast to regular yoga, which is typically conducted in small groups with a trained leader, the program was co-developed with five registered yoga therapists a physical therapist, and two knee osteoarthritis patients. Each session lasts 30 minutes, starting with five minutes of breathing exercises and simple postures, followed by 20 minutes of more intensive static and dynamic postures intended to activate, strengthen, and stretch core and lower extremity muscles, the researchers explain. Sessions ended with a five-minute cool-down with stretching, breathing, and relaxation exercises. Specific postures and exercises changed over time during the 12-week program, such that there were a total of 12 different videos available. 
each featured and trained instructor and three actors following along to stimulate a regular yoga class. Sessions were to be performed three times weekly during the 12-week program. After the program ended at um, week 12, participants in the yoga group were encouraged to continue. A total of 212 patients were randomized to the two groups, both of which received educational packages about self-management of knee osteoarthritis, including recommendations for exercise and weight loss and use of pain medications and supportive devices. Participants completed questionnaires about their pain, functional ability, and overall health status at baseline week 12 and week 24. The mean patient age was about 62 and roughly 70% were women. Their mean body mass index was about 30. Most had at least one comorbidity. They had hypertension was the most common, followed by depression. Some baseline perimeters were not evenly balanced at baseline, such as current employment and problems with joints elsewhere in the body, both more common in controls and heart disease more common in the yoga group. Adherence was self-recorded by yoga group participants in an electronic logbook. Their average was 2.5 sessions per week. At week 12, 69% said they had accessed the program three times the previous week. However, the investigators also counted participants' logins to the website where the yoga videos played. This averaged 20.5 total in the yoga group or less than twice a week over the 12-week program, and mean duration of session access was 25 minutes. The study included a host of secondary outcomes besides knee pain and Womack function score, depression, and anxiety, stress, quality of life, fear of movement, balance, confidence, and others. Some showed better outcomes in the yoga group at week 12. But as with the primary outcomes, none of these advantages persisted to week 24. So I thought that was interesting because we always talk about yoga when it comes when it comes to having people to participate in yoga if they have arthritis and things like that, you know, but but this shows specifically that yes, they, you know, doing yoga, you got a lot of the other benefits of yoga, but specifically for knee pain, it nah. was promising. It wasn't <laughs> significant. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And even though, yeah. yeah, probably some of the limitations that were they were saying or some of the stuff that they got a tweak was, yeah, when you do stuff online, you, you might not be doing it right. Yes. Yes. You're not in a room with somebody that can help you get your position right. And right. So there were those variables that might have made the outcome different. That's it. Some apps, like my, my app, because I do have a, a fitness app, coaching app, uh-huh. and with exercise training, that's why the camera, they have, um, you can see examples when, when we design a, a exercise, if we say uh-huh. do lateral 
press or this and that it explains it to you how you're supposed to then you can hit the thing and the the camera uh, and see the video that's in there how the person is doing it correctly and then you can most people are going to be accessing their app on a phone or ipad you can hit you can hit that and record you doing it and then I can see if you're doing the the movement how you're supposed to. And so for for something like this, for research, that would have been helpful because then you can really see if the people were doing the poses right because you'll have a video of them showing you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it is promising because a lot of stuff you can do online. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, during COVID, I think we found that out, that a lot of people did, you know, that Peloton, you know, it's kind of interesting. The Peloton bikers, the sales have gone down considerably because COVID, you know, because of the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are getting out a little bit more. But that's interesting. A lot of, you know, those apps and stuff like that kind of went up and those programs went up during the, the era and time mm-hmm. of COVID. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So just a little bit more it's tweaking and it will, yeah. we'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the next article is um, <laughs> interesting. You know, we, we've known that there are numerous independent risk factors for coronary artery disease. But this article mm-hmm. confirms gout comes with increased heart risk. But conditions like obesity still play largest role. So the incident of acute coronary artery syndrome was significantly higher among gout patients than in the general, this is an article done in Sweden, than in the general mm-hmm. Swedish population. <clears throat> Researchers found, even when data were adjusted for common comorbidity, first time acute coronary syndrome was diagnosed at a rate of 9.1 per 1,000 person years in a cohort of about 20,000 gout patients followed through registry data compared with 6.3 per 1,000 person years among MAT controls drawn from the general public, hazard ratio of 1.44, 95% confidence interval of 1.33 to 1.56. According to Panagata Drivelega, I'm sure I'm butchering her name, mm-hmm. doctor, mm-hmm. of that's better than me. And that and University Hospital in Gothenburg and colleagues in a multivariant analysis that adjusted for comorbidities that commonly accompany gout. However, such as obesity, hypertension, and alcoholism, the difference in acute coronary syndrome risk between patients and control shrank substantially, though it remains statistically significant, the researchers reported in Arthritis Care Research. Thus, the acute coronary syndrome risk is largely explained by the underlying comorbidities, but there is still a modestly increased risk that may be due to gout-related factors, Drive Lecca and colleagues wrote. Clinically, they added the results underlying the importance of regular cardiovascular risk assessment for patients with gout and emphasize the need of appropriate management of gout as well as of underlying cardiovascular risk factors. This is something that your honey sweet sees all the time. Mm-hmm. It was already understood that gout patients face higher risk of cardiovascular mortality, though that was based primarily on data now approaching 10 years old. It was also unclear to what extent gout itself, accumulation of urate crystals and the resultant inflammatory response was responsible versus the comorbidities commonly seen with gout, many of which also contribute to cardiovascular event risk. Drive Lecca and colleagues 
observed that the correlates of gout have made distinguishing the isolated influence of gout very difficult, and they called the literature on this subject conflicting and debatable. Two previous studies with data now more than 20 years old have found that gout itself had no influence on heart risk when the contributions of comorbidities were removed. To get what Drive Lecca and colleagues called a more contemporary view, they analyzed Sweden's relatively comprehensive health registry data to track outcomes of 20,146 individuals, pretty good sample size, mm-hmm. residing in the western part of the country who were diagnosed with gout from 2007 onward. Each of these patients was mapped with five people by age, sex, and county of residence. All were followed through 2017. Controls who developed gout during follow-up were treated as controls up to the date of diagnosis, after which they joined the gout cohort. About two-thirds of each group were men, mean age of 63 for men and 70 for women. As expected, comorbidities known to promote cardiovascular events were more common in the gout group versus controls. Hypertension, hyperlipidemia, Obesity, hypertension 53 to uh, 30, approximately. Hyperlipidemia 28 to 18 percent. Obesity 11 to 4.4 percent. Kidney disease 10 percent to 3 percent, approximately, or 4 percent, approximately. Alcoholism 4 to 2 percent, approximately. And heart failure 11 percent to 3.2 percent, approximately. Most of these were more common in female mm. versus male gout patients. Alcoholism was an exception. Related to which? of the patient's risk of of acute coronary syndrome was elevated more in women than men, Mm. but higher significantly relative to controls. But once the contribution from comorbidities was removed via statistical adjustment, there was little difference in gout-associated acute coronary syndrome risk between the sexes. Mm -hmm. Hazard ratio of 1.12 for men and 1.21 for women with heavily overlapping 95% confidence intervals. It's worth noting, however, that most gout patients manage to avoid acute coronary syndrome episodes. Through 10 years of follow-up, event-free survival rates stood at about 90% for men and 92% for female patients, and these rates differed from those among controls by only 1% to 2% percentage points. Overall, the findings seem to confirm that gout per se does increase cardiovascular risk, disease risk, if less strongly than its common comorbidities. Drive Lecker and colleagues cited some limitations to the study. Gout patients were identified through ICD codes, which are not totally reliable. Certain comorbidities, including obesity and alcoholism, may have been underaccounted for the same reason. Also, the data could not account for use of over-the-counter medications, which could have influenced the acute coronary syndrome mm. risk unevenly. And perhaps most importantly, with the studies conduct in one part of Sweden, the results may not be generalized to other countries or populations, which is just what I was getting ready to say. That's it. You have pretty much a oh, a, a one-type demographic mm-hmm. in Sweden, although you know, Sweden does have a lot of immigrants coming into that country, and they didn't say anything about the demographics, but mm-hmm. what I was getting ready to say is one of the flaws, and not flaws, but one of limitations. the things that they pointed out at the end was limitations was, mm-hmm. you know, you may not be able to generalize this to other countries and populations. So, yeah, that's good. I know. And explain to people what gout is. Gout is where you have an increase in something called urate crystals, 
that lodge in your big toe or mm -hmm. your ankles or in your wrist, and it causes significant pain. It, they used to say that it was the disease of kings because it was associated with eating a lot, a lot of, of rich meat. food meat. and red meat, meat and mm -hmm. red wine yes. and all of these kinds of things. that would, And then it can also... Uh, uh, contribute to kidney disease. So those urate crystals mm -hmm. can kind of lodge in a lot of different areas in your body. But and and then it, and then it can cause gouty arthritis if it uh, is around for a longer period of time, causing changes in your X-rays that are a result of those urate crystals uh, being impacted in your joints and so forth. So that's as we call it, the grouch is the gout. Yeah, <laughs> and you see, there are pictures from like the 1700s, mm -hmm. kind of caricatures of seeing, you know, like kings and queens and stuff putting their feet up on, you know, like a little like a pillow little stu or yeah, yeah, and yeah, pillow, and yeah, the, and their great big toe being all, you know, inflammatory and stuff. So, Professor Al Bright, when we were together, had gout all the time, and it was one of those things where. You can treat it now. One of the and, and our friend Lo, Dr. Lolita McDavid, she I would recall one night her husband had an attack, and I became his new best friend because mm -hmm. one of the treatments, the best treatment, is a medrol dose pack steroids because the pain is intense. Mm. And after you take that first dose of a medrol dose pack, the pain goes down considerably. But in addition to that, you now have to be put on maintenance medication called allopurinol which will keep your gout you know at bay but you also have to have to do as you would say mm -hmm. continue diet that's it you know you have to stay away from those foods that are going to increase that problem so mm -hmm. yeah so that's why when people say oh i had gout and they eating all this chicken and this and that i'm like okay yeah. what's wrong with you what's wrong yeah <laughs> but oh, yeah, yeah. so know. I, and, and all of that, and we have talked about that, uh, all the inflammation stuff being chronically, you know, inflamed, it can lead to some of the risk factors. And one of them would be, you know, heart disease, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right. So that makes it's sense. An independent risk factor for coronary artery disease. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All and right. And as we say, you know, you can't outrun your, you cannot outrun your genetics and your DNA, but you can't outrun some of these things that are contributing factors to as we I just listened those kind listed those kinds of things that are contributing to heart disease. So, That's yeah. it. So the next article, diets haven't improved much worldwide and US remains near the bottom of the list. You think? <laughs> <laughs> I needed to do this article. Uh, yes, okay. yes. Okay, so this article was from Health Daily News. Despite everything, 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 people have learned about good nutrition. Folks around the world aren't eating much healthier than they were three decades ago. Mm -hmm. A new global review has concluded. Diets are still closer to a poor score. Diets are still closer to a poor score zero. Mm. Loads of sugar processed meat than they are to a score of 100 representing fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, and whole grains, Tuck University researchers report. Mm -hmm. Intake of legumes, nuts, and non-starchy vegetables increased over time, but overall improvements in dietary quality were offset by increased intake of unhealthy components such as red processed meats, sugar-sweetened vegetables, and sodium. 
said lead author Victoria Miller. She's a postdoctoral scholar at Tuff Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy in Boston. For the study, researchers measured eating patterns among adults and children across 185 countries based on data gathered from more than 1,100 diet surveys. The world's overall dietary score is 40.3, representing a small but meaningful 1.5 point gain between 1990 and 2018, researchers found. But scores vary widely between regions, with averages ranging as low as 30.3 in Latin America and the Caribbean to as high as 45.7 in South Asia. Mm. Only 10 countries mm-hmm. representing less than 1% of the world's population had diet scores over 50. Nations with the highest diet scores include Vietnam, Iran, Indonesia, and India, while the lowest scoring countries were Brazil, Mexico, the United States, and Egypt. Women were more likely to eat healthier than men, mm-hmm. the older people more so than young adults. Healthy eating was also influenced by socioeconomic factors, including educational level, urbanicity, Miller said in a university news release. Globally and in most regions, more educated adults and children with more educated parents generally had higher overall dietary quality. Poor diets are responsible for more than a quarter of all preventable deaths worldwide, the researchers said. Countries can use this data to guide policies that promote healthy eating, said Dr. Dariush Mazafarian, a cardiologist and dean for policy at the Friedman School. We found that both too few healthy foods and too many unhealthy foods were contributing to global challenges in achieving recommended dietary quality, he said in the release. This suggests that policies that incentivize and reward more healthy foods, such as in healthcare, employer wellness programs, government nutrition programs, and agricultural policies may have a substantial impact on improving nutrition in the United States and around the world. So there you have it. There you have it. And so we are at the bottom of the list. I thought it was interesting that Vietnam and those places were, you know, not on the bottom of the list. No, they weren't. And India is a very poor country, as I know from having been there. You know, here we are benchmark against these other countries, and we're, you know, not, we, we still are not just not eating healthy. You know, we're just not. We're, we're not. throwing up our hands and hollering, as they say. <laughs> 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 we're just, we're just throwing just throw up your hands and holler. I know. I mean, really. What, what I always tell Nate, I said, mm, they just enjoying. They enjoying. <laughs> People I mean, enjoying. They enjoying their just eating. Enjoying. You know, just, you know, it's just a free for all. You just go like, why? So, I know. Yeah. So a lot of work to do. And again, you know, I would like to see how, uh, how we're benchmarked uh, against other countries yeah you know, so, uh-huh. yeah they said our diets yeah. we, we we get a poor score because we just have loads of sugar and processed meats yeah yeah exactly instead of yeah. having instead of having those whole foods that we talk about you know the vegetables and the fruits and right because right. even if we just switched you know just switched our mindset where we do more of yeah. that that would yeah. do so much you know it would Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no 
no question. But hey, that's where we are. We are <laughs> the bottom of the bell. That's that's what we are. Yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. All right. Well, D, this ends our show. So, do you have some tips that we should think about? Well, just a couple things that you know you went through about you know the yoga online and virtual is kind of plus minus. I mean, I think a lot of tweaking has to be done. Mm-hmm. We talked about the different, you know. What's the word? Not barriers, but limitations. Limitations, yes, yes. Uh, And so I think they could be tweaked. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, and again, people are still not running out into gyms. Mm -mm. I know I'm not running out to be doing, I'm not running out, I'm sorry, to be doing uh, math classes. And I have not, I should be, but I'm not running into gyms right now. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. As I always said, gyms were nasty before COVID. Yes, yes. And... I, and, you know, they would have those wipes and stuff before COVID for people to wipe off the machines after they were sweating and all of that. And I would often look and people weren't doing no, that. No, they were they not. not taking the, the, the alcohol, all that stuff they were supposed to be wiping off. And this is before COVID. So I know. I'm like, uh-uh. Mm-mm. No, I'm, I'm not ready to dash back in there. So these online television virtual kind of things are more receptive for me, but again, the limitations are you have to do it accurately. Yes, you do. And just, you know, keep working at it and making sure that your your position, your posture, and all of the things that they want you to do is accurate. But I, I'm, Vicki, I'm not, I don't know about I know. you, but I'm not running up back no, there. No, And you can, like I said, with our programs, uh, we've taken that in consideration of, yeah, you're not there to yeah. help people and they, uh, to, to get the correct posture and so forth but a lot of these apps are very sophisticated where um, especially our app where you can have you show the people the positions and so forth and directions and if they have questions they can take a picture of themselves doing that particular exercise it'll get sent back to us so that we can tell them yes you're doing it right or they compare they can compare what they're doing to the the video that's showing the correct movement so there's there's ways that you can overcome that limitation is what i'm trying to say yeah right exactly Mm -hmm. exactly no that's that yeah that's good because people Um, people know people know even even when things open up even when things open up and people go in there you know it's it's nice to have your own um stuff with you you can take and 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 for some of the personal ones that you do by yourself but yeah when you're in the group it's it's um you at least you have the instructor there and that's the the advantage of going to these um group exercises but now we have to you could do a lot of these things online uh with correct posture with all of that because they go through some of that and try to help you yeah yeah so Um, it's doable what's the other stuff we would and then the other the other thing is the uh, independent risk factor for gout yes, or yes. coronary syndrome. You know, if you're diagnosed with that, the first thing you need to make sure that you're watching your diet to stay away from foods that are associated with that mm-hmm. and stay on your medications. I mean, you know, the big word with me and Dr. Doe is compliance. Yeah. Part of the problem in this country in terms of people taking care of themselves mm-hmm. is that they're not compliant. I know. They don't take the medicines. You spend all this time in the office telling people what they should do, 
giving them prescriptions and this, that, and the other, and they don't do it. Mm. And so, you know, Dr. Joe and I are always talking about how, you know, I'm sure his kidney dialysis patients, sometimes they don't have come to, to, to dialysis. And me and mm. my patients in infectious diseases, they don't take care of their medicines or they, like well, I often say, I missed that class on soaking your diabetic foot infection in Epsom salt. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it does. That was a class that I probably was out that day. I didn't miss too many classes in medical school, but that that course on soaking your feet when you have a floor diabetic foot infection. I don't know what that does. Yeah, that's but that's it must do something that, uh, everybody does it. No, you do Epsom salt when you do an African dance class and you jumping up and down. That's uh, when you soak in Epsom. And all that, but not, but not for no infection. Oh no, 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 no. They do it all the time, Vicky. Oh my all goodness. The time. We asked them, "Well, what were you doing?" Well, I decided to soak them in Epsom salt. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a story we hear. All the time. I wonder how that got him. All the time. I don't know. It must be something historical. Like I said, I have no idea. But that is a story that is not at all uncommon. No man. Wow. That's, yeah. that's different. You didn't know that. No, no. Not yeah, for no yeah, diabetic no, foot stuff no, infection. diabetic foot infection. Yeah, yeah. Epsom, Epsom salt, yeah. And so, of course, that's not going to do anything. So there you have it. That one. And then, um, <laughs> lastly, the article that we talked about, how we're at the bottom of the barrel on yes. the dieting. And, I mean, you know, you just, as we often say, you fall off the wagon, get back on. That's it. You fall off the wagon, you get back on. You don't fall off the wagon and stay off. <laughs> no, you don't. You know, no. You don't fall off the wagon and stay off. Uh, you continue to, you know, um, the season is changing. I'm sad because... Uh-huh. I'm going to miss the farmer's market. Oh, I know. You know, I, know. I used to stop by the farmer's markets like they do in European countries and every day get my fruit. Get your little fruit. Oh, yes, them, yes, you know? yes. And, uh, but, you know, you, you adjust as the winter comes. There uh the, the winter vegetables and yes. apples and so forth. So mm-hmm. And I squash think, you know, and stuff. Squash. I love squash. And mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. So, you know, like, like we often say, you fall off the wagon, get back on fall off the wagon, get back on. And let's be very mindful people of what we do. I love how you said it's that compliance. We got to really think because I know, I know a lot of people come up to me and go, yeah, you know, I want to be able to get off my um, high blood pressure medication and my, my diabetic medication. And you know, the doctor won't let me, I say, and, and what are they doing this and that? I said, well, here's the deal. Even so, they won't let you uh, because you, even if you want to be all natural, are you being all natural? And I say, well, what did you, right. are you following the DASH diet? Are you, are you eating how you're supposed to? Are you exercising every day? Are you? Right. No. Exactly. Well, then that's why you. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's why. why that's right. Why and that's why you. they want you to continue with your medication. Uh, and exactly. do what you're supposed to do, because even though you talk about you want natural and you want this and that, you're not doing that either. Exactly. You're non-compliant with that either. Non-compliance is a huge word. That's in it. Medicine. That's it. And, you know, I'm sure that Dr. Doe and I often, I know we commiserate because we have patients together. You just go, I mean, and they come back in the hospital and so-and-so, and they haven't done anything anything that you've asked them to do. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, well, what do you expect?
I know. So it's kind of sad. Frustrating. It's very, very sad and very, very frustrating because you know that a lot of, like I was saying to somebody yesterday, you cannot run your dream, your genes. You cannot outrun your your DNA. And I often say that on here, and maybe said it today earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you can do things to change your surroundings and what you put in in your mouth. You know, we're digging our graves with our teeth, as I often say. Yes, and it's a whole thing. Lifestyle change. That's what they say. Lifestyle Lifestyle change. change. Exactly. All right. That was a great show, D. And for all of you guys, as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.